I never knew the lyrics to Danger Zone until just now. Revving up your engine, listen to her howl and roar. Metal under tension, begging you to touch and go. Cademan's call. That's the <laughs> Cademan's call version right there. <laughs> Revving up your engine, listen to her howl and roar. <laughs> Metal under tension. Someone should do that. Doing Highway to the Danger Zone in like a major key. Hidden in the twilight. It just doesn't hit the same though. Why is it in? It, it's an interesting song. Let's peel back the layers of that song. How, what did it, how did the lyrics go? Rev up your engine, listen to a howling roar. It's not a freeway. It's not a back road to what? What do you? Why do you like back road to the danger zone? What if you <laughs> took access road to the danger zone? Well, I mean, the meaning is that you're getting to the danger zone as fast as possible. Right. That's the whole. You can't wait one more second to be in the safe zone. Like you can't be in the safe zone any, any longer. longer. No. You have to get to the danger zone as quickly <laughs> as possible. Because you're one bad dude. <laughs> Did you uh, like Maverick? Maybe y'all talked about this in my absence. No, because I, I, I saw it on Monday. Oh, the best okay. part was I saw it at Norton. You know that thing at the beginning of the movie where Tom Cruise comes on screen and he's like, we made this for you. We made this for, you know, we oh, all yeah, the stunts yeah, yeah, you yeah. see, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. He's like, we made this for you, and it got quiet. And, like, there was only two other people in the theater, and it was this old couple, probably in their 70s, and, and like, the front row, the top part, and after he said, "We made this for you," it got quiet, and the guy goes, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Tom Cruise uh, is he something of a national hero? I guess now. I guess so. Uh, thank you, thank you for your pretend service. It's such a weird time for the movie to come out, right? It's like it comes out. In the middle of these hearings on January 6th, yeah. you know, at the same time that record high inflation is like hitting the U.S., it's such a weird movie to come out like right now. It is. is it's like, you know, <laughs> I like how they did. They did toe the line as to who the enemy was. There was no like real illusions mm-hmm. except for it was in the desert. Right. <laughs> Not really even though, I guess, was it? What was it? I guess it was more like Soviet wintry leaning. It was. It kind of had like a Siberian look to it. Yeah. I guess I just thought that because they were training there. But like really when they flew the mission, it was, was like a little Siberia. That was the thing about the movie that like their training area is an exact replica of their target site. Like yeah. what are the odds? Yeah. The thing is, though, this does this movie does not pl- take place on any Earth that we know. No, no. It's a dude. It's a very disembodied movie. I was very creeped out the whole movie. It's like lonely as fuck. Like Maverick. Like I think Miles Teller even tells him at one point that like you're just <laughs> you're just fucking old and washed up. You don't have anybody to take care of you. You have no family. Like no yeah, friends. I mean, in fa- in fairness, though, he doesn't really need anybody to take care of him. He looks great. You're right. <laughs> the, the, what what an existence, though. 
I mean, it is a certain kind of hell. To be as good-looking as Tom Cruise is at that age, but to have no one, like, doesn't even have any friends. His only friend, he basically killed. <laughs> you <Yes>. know? <laughs> yeah. No family. His other friend's getting ready to die. Val Kilmer had the top too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's, you're right. Well, dude, that's the thing. That's what it felt like. It felt disembodied and eerie. It felt like a Gnostic text. I mean, everybody's trying to, like, communicate with each other, but through water or something. Yeah. It was just very ghostly or something. Yeah. For me, that was my interpretation of it. I was just very disturbed by how lonely, how much of a lonely movie it is. I also liked how that you could run uh, like a little shitty bar yeah. at a place, but still afford a mint condition Porsche and uh, whatever kind of motorcycle they had. It was just, no, that's <laughs> the thing. The details, like the small details about it. Like this isn't realism, obviously, right? This is not describing a world that any of us are familiar with. Right, yeah. It describes a world that... Uh, precisely none of us are familiar with none of us have lived in this world was was this the movie that was the subject of tom cruise getting down everybody's throat about covid and stuff i think so because they delayed this movie for two years it's supposed to come out 2020 all right but i think he needed it to be seen in movie theaters and i respect that right yeah yeah that doesn't to me though that artistic vision does not necessarily make it a good movie to me that makes it makes it a very strange movie how are you rating it well like so i out of five stars i would give it three it wasn't like a bad movie by any means it was it was entertaining i wasn't bored ever right it was surprisingly not that cringe i thought it was going to be very cringe but it wasn't yeah Obviously, it's propaganda, right? Right. <laughs> but at the same time, it was propaganda as interpreted by the loneliest man in the world. You think Tom Cruise, like the actual Tom Cruise, is lonely? I think he's the loneliest man in the world. <laughs> wow. Like I said, he's the, he's like that good. He has no one. <laughs> <laughs> you think he has no one? I don't know. I guess he's got that cousin that was in those movies. Uh, what's his? Bro- you would re- immediately recognize his cousin if you saw him. Who's his cousin? He's in all kinds of movies. Dude, I, he he's I, from he's from Louisville. Did you know that? Yeah, Tom, Tom Cruise? Cruise. Yeah, his parents from Louisville. Yeah. What's so weird? Tom Cruise cousin. Tom Cruise cousin. You recognize him? He's been in a lot of movies. Um. <laughs> He looks like a more fucked up version of Tom Cruise, but he's funny. You could tell he's funny. Tom Cruise never had to be funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he's true. always like a hot guy. Yeah, well, too. Uh, yeah, I guess Tom Cruise is weird in that he's like still kind of the ultimate movie star, though. Yeah, you know. No, I got to hand it to him. Look, I'm I I respect the craft. I see someone's craft. And I respect it. William, you know this about William me. Maypother. Will, William A. Pa- Maypother. Yeah. I've never known how to say their family name, even though they're a Kentucky family. 
I'm on record. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. That does kind of look like a fucked up Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise yeah, but he's funny. You can tell. Uh, oh yeah, you'd have to be with that face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess he's got that guy. Yeah, and he's got kids and stuff. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't condone Scientology, but I mean, mm-hmm. the results speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, will you be lonely and? <laughs> Alienated from your family and whatnot because you've devoted most of your life to a cult for decades. Sure, uh-huh. but this raises an interesting. You look great. No, no, you're right. It raises What's... an interesting question. What can you separate the art from the massive secretive cult backing the artist? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's where that's something we're gonna chew on a little bit more. No, I mean, I, I, uh, I, well, I mean, results may vary though, because look at Will Smith. He doesn't look like he's having much fun these days. I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. See, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's why I, dude, the thing is, the thing about Scientology, could you imagine being one of those guys now? Cause like, are young actors getting into Scientology? That's gotta be like, I think a, everybody's like, uh, I feel like that was like a 70s, 80s, 90s. Thing. Yeah, they've definitely peaked by now. Particularly with like all like the weird stuff about like people disappearing and shit like that. I really think that could you imagine being like an actor now, like a closeted gay actor now of that generation and looking at this new generation just like, God damn it. Like I joined this cult <laughs> Son so of that no one would never find out. <laughs> and they just come out and say it. Yeah. <laughs> I could have saved 40 good years of my mental state and uh-huh. money. Because that's, that's got to be their MO, right? Like, I feel like they find something about you and they basically blackmail you. Say, like, if you don't join our organization, we're going to leak this to the oh, public. God. Scientology really is the danger zone. What? Who's the who's the the muscle behind Scientology? Like, who, like... Yeah, you're right. Who who's keep, who's enforcing... There? The rules in Scientology. They just got like a bunch of bad dudes that <laughs> no one ever when you, sees. When you stray away, they just come <laughs> and bring you back in. They have a stable of bad dudes. Like, okay, I like I get that. Like, part of joining a cult is being indoctrinated and brainwashed and what have you. But like, and I'm not going to say like I'm too smart for that, right? Because uh-huh. like people way smarter than I ever thought about being to join cults and stuff. But like. When you get little inklings of something's not right here, mm-hmm. like what, what is the binding force that keeps you around? The blackmail they have on you. Oh, okay, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I know fear. About your seventeen-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, fear and, your, and shame. Yeah, okay. those are the things. <laughs> Powerful motivators, I have to say. And they eat you alive over time. Yeah, I mean. God. <laughs> Well, so I don't know. It was again. It was a fine movie. I enjoyed it. It was. I would even venture to say that it was good. Um, there were parts that I zoned out a little bit, but for the most part, dude, I did zone out during multiple previews. Like I never. Who the fuck zones out in a preview? Like they're specifically designed to make to, to hold your attention. You in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like the Buzz Lightyear preview, I literally zoned out. I just lost like five minutes. I don't remember Buzz Lightyear preview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing in it that's. Maybe they're not trying anymore because they don't really have to. Yeah, I don't think so. 
Buzz Lightyear is going to do 200 million box office. It's mm-hmm. fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Cinema's dead, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You see where Matt Taibbi is doing, and for some reason I still get his emails, but he's doing a series called Meet the Censored. <laughs> where he's profiling everybody that that the intolerant left's trying to zip up. Damn. Let's get dude, let's get censored. Let's get canceled and we'll go undercover into that. This will be all right, this is a fun fan uh this is a fun fan collaboration. You're gonna cancel us and then we're gonna go on the Matt Taibbi the censor uh, Yeah, we're just gonna sense, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen they weren't ready for some of the inconvenient truths we were putting out there, man. <laughs> Well, apparently, all you got to do is suggest that 50,000 children should dress up as sperm and <laughs> run around a baseball field chasing an egg, and they lose their mind. He's like, so so. you're telling me that, he kind of sounds like Don Draper, you're telling me that you proposed dressing 50,000 children up <laughs> at a baseball game. <laughs> and at the very end, we go, and at the very end, we tell him, actually, we're not canceled. We got you, bitch. Yeah, you just you just profiled, you just profiled. <laughs> the uncensored. You, pl- you pl- <laughs> <laughs> and that's the plat- damn truth. That's the damn truth. <laughs> you platformed the uncensored, yeah, sir, dude. You <laughs> fucked up. We're not canceled. <laughs> it was all a ruse. <laughs> Where did we get money to start a baseball team and get fifty thousand children? Come on, man. To make it believable, you and I would have to, like, you know at the beginning of The Departed where they, like, set Leo up for a crime to make him look, you know, like he's not a, a cop. All right. Like, right. It's to, so that he can go undercover, he needs street cred. Right. So you and I are going to have to do at least a solid one or two years of just living on the streets, not podcasting. <laughs> just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really commit to get profiled by Matt Taibbi Substack in a 12-minute audio piece. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and at the end of it all, just... <laughs> you fell into our trap, Mr. Taibbi. Oh, we got you, good fucker. <laughs> Oh God! You walked right into it. Today's today's in today's edition of Meet the Censored, he interviews Kara Dansky, who's the feminist author of The Abolition of Sex. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Has become the ultimate example of a new propaganda phenomenon, which denounces leftists as right wing when they say unpopular things. <laughs> so wait, the the book was called The Abolition of Sex. Yeah, that, that's that's the unpopular thing. <laughs> People are like, "Boo!" <laughs> yeah, if you that, there's not a lot of things that'll probably get you shouted out of a room now. But <laughs> the but <laughs> proposing to abolish sex is is one of just a handful that will. Oh boy. What was her deal? What was what was the overall? I didn't, m- I didn't get into it. I just message. think it's funny. He's doing a, a series called <laughs> Meet the Censored. 
I mean, dude, it's it's rough out there. I can tell from one content creator to the other, you're constantly looking for new segments and He's just making content just like anybody else. Just like anybody else, man. Just, just, re- just reaching for it just all Just reaching time. for it. <laughs> it's no different than those two-hour episodes where I'm searching through tabs on my phone. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's all the same <laughs> industry. <laughs> Speaking of which, what tabs you got for us this way? <laughs> you want to do some tab roulette? All the tabs. Let's do a little abbreviated. We got an article we're going to read, but let's do a little abbreviated tab roulette. You want to read the article? Sure. I was really not sure if you would want to read it or not. I myself wasn't sure if I wanted to read it or not. I was triggered, bro. I was triggered by that article. What was it? It was See, this is good podcasting because I didn't do the reading. So oh, okay. I'd be experiencing it for the first time. It's extremely long. It is so fucking long. Okay. It's the it's the article on nonprofits in publication The Intercept, written by Ryan Grimm. Elephant in the room. Meltdowns have brought progressive advocacy groups to a standstill at a critical moment in world history. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Meltdowns. That that's a great. That's a really an insane claim. I, re, DJ, rewind that tape. Rewind that back. <laughs> Run that back. Meltdowns have brought progressive advocacy groups to a standstill at a critical moment in world history. So it's the meltdowns of a group of nonprofit employees that is bringing. The progressive movement. That's actually bringing the curtain down. (laughs) At a critical moment in world history. Not like anything in political economy. So what you're telling me is I really am a change maker. You really... (laughs) They weren't lying this whole time. This whole time. They weren't lying. I thought, well, man, it's overselling a little bit. (laughs) But apparently I was the whole time and didn't know. This whole time you were the change maker. Uh... So you can either read that or you got tabs. Let's, most, no, let's just go. Well, this my, is most of my tabs are like gastroenterologists in the greater Richmond area. <laughs> I'm looking at those two right now. Yeah, I'm, I've got to see somebody about a number of concerning symptoms that I have. As do I, my friends. So like we could do that tab roulette where Tom and I research doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just go through the health grades of everything. I need to see a cardiologist. You need to see a gastroenterologist, and we just, just go through the reviews <laughs> column on air. I say, listen, I, I need you to just give me ten words or less about your bedside manner. You're you're on the air, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're on a podcast called uh, I see you're part of the MDVIP network. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell me a little more about that? Oh, I wish I could find a doctor. If any doctors are listening, here's what I need. I need some advice on. I just I'd like to find a doctor that doesn't work in like a hospital setting, uh-huh. and that also does lab work not in a hospital setting. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's nothing I hate worse than going under those jarring fucking halogen lights and getting blood drawn and then just, like, being led in there like a bunch of cattle, you know? Mm-hmm. See, I'm the opposite. I love it. I've developed a fetish. I spent so much time doing it as a child that I've developed a weird fetish. Yeah, I actually enjoy going and waiting in the doctor's office. 
I'll never forget that time you got scoped that I was there with you to take you home and you got up in the middle and was leaving. They're like, no, 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 no. You got to sit down. And you go, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Just totally gassed out of your head. Dude, it's fucking crazy. Like the different kind of person you will be like fucked up on those drugs, like those kinds of drugs. Yeah. Like that, yeah, you're right. Like probably like laughing gas, but also like... The drug that they gave me for that was, I remember the first thing she told me, told me when I woke up was like the drug that they gave me for that was the drug that they gave, that Michael Jackson overdosed on. Uh, that's just exactly the kind of thing you want to hear when you're going down. Like, oh, by the way, <laughs> the king of pop died on this no. drug. <laughs> no, bring me back. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> That's the last thing you heard before you just went out. Michael Jackson died doing this. And then the and then the nurse that said that removes their mask and it's Matt Taibbi. <laughs> I guess you are one of the censored after all. Uh, don't fuck with the tie. Oh, the tape. <laughs> you're Matt Taibbi, not not Doctor Campbell. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my baby. You just see Matt Taibbi's the nine hairs he's got left. That's the last thing you see before you go down. <laughs> oh man, damn! This is a long article, so let's. I screenshotted it a lot, dude. I'm probably gonna regret this, uh, but you know, sometimes we all have to be brave. Yeah, we have to. We have to ride into the danger zone. <laughs> Let's ride into this day. Let's just though. get right to it. I did like I did like how the intro was exactly the same. They might have even copied and pasted it from the nineteen eighty six movie. I should read this article as the lyrics to that song. Everyone acknowledged that Zoom wasn't less than ideal. <laughs> As a forum for a heartfelt conversation on systemic racism. <laughs> <laughs> now that is the highway to the danger zone. All right, let me this let's see. During the first week of June 2020, teams of workers and their managers came together across the country to share how they were responding to the murder of George Floyd. And what, if anything, their own company or nonprofit could do to contribute toward the reckoning with racial injustice. On June 2nd, one such hurdle was organized by the Washington, D.C. Office of the Guttmacher Institute, the abortion rights movement's premier research organization. Heather Boonstra, vice president of public po policy, began by asking how people were finding equilibrium. One of the details we know because it was later shared by staff with PRISM, an outlet that focuses on social justice advocacy. She talked about the role systemic racism plays in society and the ways that Guttmacher's work would counter it. Staff suggestions, though, turned inward, PRISM reported, quote, including loosening deadlines and implementing more proactive and explicit policies for leave without penalty. Staffers, okay, uh, that seems like a pretty uh, reasonable set of suggestions, including loosening deadlines and implementing more proactive and explicit policies for leave without penalty. 
that seems like a workplace demand. It's not like a, gr- a woke grievance that whatever they've categorized as a work grievance, like, uh, or a woke grievance, like a, a charge of racism or anything like that. Yeah. This sounds like a actual just workplace demand. Yeah, just your standard. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, Stafford suggested additional racial equity trainings. Okay, well, never mind. That just invalidated everything I just said. <laughs> noting that a previous facilitator had said that the last round had not included sufficient time to cover everything. With no black staff in the D.C. unit, it was suggested that Guttmacher do something tangible for black employees in other divisions. Behind Boonstra's and the staff's responses to the killings was a fundamental different understanding of the moment. For Boonstra and others of her generation, the focus should have been on the work of the nonprofit. What could Guttmacher, with an annual budget of nearly $30 million dollars, do now to make the world a better place. For her staff, that question had to be answered at home first. What could they do to make Guttmacher a better place? Too often, they believed, gut managers exploited the moral commitment staff felt toward their mission, allowing workplace abuses to go unchecked. I do like that that kind of boils the argument down to being like, these workers actually care about their organization. But the bosses, they're saying, fuck the organization. Like, my organization's <laughs> not shit. We're changing the world. Right, you know, it, it right. kind of, it, it, the point I'm trying to make is it shows that this dichotomy is kind of ridiculous because, well, they didn't first really interview a single person that works for a nonprofit in this article, I don't think. Maybe they did a few. I was not reached out to. I, was- <laughs> I have thoughts. Right, and disaffected former nonprofit workers. I am also a, a type, <laughs> yeah, that could have been reached. Yeah, um, uh, the belief was widespread in the eyes of group leaders dealing with similar moments. Staff were ignoring the mission and focusing only on themselves, using a moment of public awakening to smuggle through standard grievances cloaked in the language of social justice. Often, as was the case, okay. Well, are they? Are they? <laughs> Matt Taibbi, right? <laughs> are they? Are they standard grievances? And if so, are they clo- cloaked in the language of social justice? And if so, why? Like yeah. maybe that's the way that they're saying that like workplace issues need to be uh, acknowledged and engaged with. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I don't think I don't it's see bas- I, basically getting at the idea that they're basically just using the moment to push through their own like th- their own agenda. Right. 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 Like I don't. Yeah. I don't see anything necessarily wrong with raising issues of there is nothing axiomatically wrong with ra- raising both workplace issues and issues of like racial justice. Right. Like uh, yeah. It's like, especially during a time when it's everywhere. I mean, that, that seems like to me, like it'd be the time to do it. Yeah. Did you, I mean, who would honestly think that that wouldn't happen? Right. Like everybody would want to talk about it, especially if you work in a quote unquote, like political organization, a progressive one, everybody's going to want to talk about right. things that are going on. Yeah. Uh, and if one one thing rocking the Sierra Club right now is there was some um, work I don't know what you would call them but some some travel to Israel oh was there they they were going to go to Tel Aviv for some conference and then now they're doing <laughs> now they do what the classic nonprofit move. We're going to bring in an outside facilitator to finally, <laughs> once and for all, hash out this uh, this Israeli-Palestinian thing. They cover this. It's like, oh, finally, finally. 
<laughs> where, where, where were you at when the time of Anwar Sadat? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that would make a great movie. Like that, that's how we need to do things from now mm-hmm. on. It's like these great like meetings of the mind. Mm-hmm. You need nonprofit consultants to come in to mediate all that stuff. Uh, I absolutely Putin agree. Zelensky. Yeah, that situation. Bring out an outside you, facility. You <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why didn't they go to a consultant? There is an entire consultant class. Blown opportunity. Blown opportunity. Really. Trust falls. Yeah. Like Zelensky That's, and Putin. I'm gonna trust go falls. to Putin's. Gonna be like, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but there's a class of highly trained professionals that are skilled in, like, you know, arbitrating these things. So. We could have saved yourself just, a lot of trouble if you just <laughs> if you had just deferred to. Uh, uh, I don't know. We, it's for when we do stuff like that. It's usually somebody that like teaches meditation or something. They do. <clears throat> I don't like skits. I don't do skits really. Yeah, you know. Ugh. And one thing I hate about nonprofit consulting kind of meetings and stuff like that is they make you do skits. Well, dog, they're trying to get you out of your comfort zone. They're trying to get you out of the danger zone and into the comfort zone. Well, they they <laughs> succeed. They succeeded. <laughs> Um. Anyways, uh, yeah. There's nothing like on its face r- wrong with raising any of those issues. But anyways, the belief was widespread in the eyes of group leaders dealing with similar moments. Staff were ignoring the mission and focusing only on themselves. Only oh, we already said this. Um, often, as was the case with Gutmacher, they played into the very dynamics they were fighting against, directing their complaints at leaders of color. Gutmacher was run at the time and still is today by an Afro-Latina woman. Dr. Herminia Palacio, the most zealous ones at my organization when it comes to race are white, said one black executive director at a different organization, asking for anonymity so as to not provoke a response from that staff. All right. Uh, so he did He did talk to some. Uh, some well, he, worked, he talked to a lot of executive directors, it looks like. Um, maybe that person's telling the truth. I mean, if they're anonymous, how the fuck am I supposed to know? Yeah. How the fuck, you know? Maybe th- maybe this executive this executive director is a boss. He's gonna fucking lie about his workers. I have been fired from a nonprofit. Take it from me. When it comes down to that moment, you're just a fucking employee like anybody just else. Just a number, man. I mean, it's just I mean, it's it's just this weird thing that like giving them a voice like this and saying that it's representative of the larger left. What what this article does is it conflates the left with nonprofit workers. Which is like that's two separate things. Like leftist My workers, two very different things. Yeah, nonprofit workers can be leftists. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But not the but the left is not embodied in nonprofit. The NGO right. right grunt sphere. Yeah, I don't know. It's just. Uh, in fact, more often than not, they're not. You know? Yeah. Um. These starkly divergent views would produce dramatic schisms throughout the progressive world in the coming year. At Gutmacher, this process would rip the organization apart. Boonstra, unlike many managers at the time, didn't sugarcoat how she felt about the staff's response to the killing. I'm here to talk about George Floyd and the other African-American men who have been beaten up by society, she told her staff. Not, quote-unquote, workplace problems. Boonstra told them she was, quote-unquote, disappointed that they were being, quote-unquote, self-centered. The staff was appalled enough by the exchange to relay it to PRISM. The Human Resources Department and Board of Directors, in consultation with outside counsel, were brought in to investigate complaints 
that flowed from the, they, I they, told you, they man. Got the outside cancel. Time. I told you. Does your click have I the could, outside cancel? I could. I could. You can set your watch by it, man. Mm-hmm. They yeah. need out. They need the outsiders. You need outside cancel. Anytime you're going through a hard time in life, seek outside cancel. Yeah. <laughs> True. We should start providing outside cancel. I mean, yeah. Well, and as of right now, you can get that service for the low, low price of five dollars. Patreon, <laughs> Patreon.com. Yeah, yeah. That's part of. Y'all haven't read the fine print in your Patreon subscription. We also provide outside counsel, uh, arbitration, uh-huh. uh, and there's a number of benefits to your generous support. Nonprofit consultation, really. The Human Resources Department, okay, uh, including accusations that certain staff members had been tokenized, promoted, and demoted on the basis of race. The resulting report was unsatisfying to many of the staff. Uh, What we have learned is that there is a group of people with strong opinions about a particular supervisor, the new leadership, and a change in strategic priorities, said Guttmacher. Uh, those staff have a point of view. Complaints were duly investigated and nothing was raised to the level of abuse or discrimination. Rather, what we saw was distrust, disagreement, and discontent with management decisions they simply did not like. Once again, if you said that about any other fucking business in this country, if you were a leftist, you would say, all right, this is pretty cut and dry. Fuck management. Right, right. The workers are the ones who should be running the shop. Well, here's where they get hung up in the nonprofit world. I know. Their managers are their friends. I know. That's the thing, dude. Like, some people really don't... They're still under that illusion. Yeah. It is quite literally a kind of illusion. Yeah. It's like, it, like, makes you... It's kind of an op, in a way, to, like, make you think that it is somehow apart from political economy. That it sits outside of it. That it's, like, yeah. dematerialized or something. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. When, in fact, it is... Not just like an individual nonprofit, like the whole industry is a critical part of political economy. Yeah. So it's like it's workers, de- you know, they need to be able to organize and make demands. Like there's nothing wrong with that. There's like, nothing wrong with that. And just then, because the bosses share the same political views, quote unquote, more or less, yeah. it doesn't change or the they equation. all like to go paddle down the river on a Saturday afternoon. It doesn't change the equation. Yeah, it doesn't change like, the what, equation. What fucking like, what fucking like, is there like a nonprofit managers association? Sort of like how there's like a, you know, the chamber of commerce or whatever, and they pitch like anti-union stories and stuff. I, I, did some chamber of like nonprofit chamber of commerce equivalent get to Ryan Grimm and be like, "Yo, I yo, dude. I listen. <laughs> we got we got the good shit for you this way." A prison reporter reached a widely respect, and you know, uh, apparently Ryan Grimm follows me on Twitter, so he fucks with he fucks with your boy. He must. Yeah, I like Ryan. I, just, I ain't got uh, no. Uh, I mean, this article is dog shit. I, I mean, I, 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 I ain't fucking with this article, but I think in general, Ryan's good. I mean, I don't know. He's he seems fine. If I had, if if he's listening to this, let me just tell you, you need to leave that dog shit rag you're working at, my man. <laughs> <laughs> it's poisoning your brain. <laughs> A prism, a prism reporter reached a widely respected Guttmacher board member, Pamela Merritt. It's just like the whole fucking point of this website was set up to like speak truth to power. Now we're like writing an article about how like nonprofit managers have their feelings hurt. Right, right, it's right. Like, who the fuck has the actual power in this situation? It's kind of what it's trying to get at. And I'm sympathetic to parts of this argument. It's trying to get at that there is 
also an imbalance of power and that people can now leverage complaints about like racism and sexism and all these other things in the nonprofit workplace. Like, and that that can be used to derail a larger leftist social movement or project, right? Like I'm sympathetic to that argument in the sense that like, yeah, if people are disrupting spaces where you're making social advances on behalf of the working class, that might be a problem. But is the nonprofit industry making social advances on behalf of the working class? Like, no, they're just a part. They're just an industry like every other. Now, industry. Well, I mean, what it is is it's it's walking this balancing act of paying fealty to the donor class, while at the same time, I guess providing some generic benefits to the world. But I I'm under no illusion that I'm a change maker. Tries they might to <laughs> get me to, you know. I think that like nonprofits, broadly speaking, they do serve a purpose. I mean, if you if you go back and you like track the the growth of nonprofits, it really began in the wake of the war on poverty. Like, I feel like the war on poverty was kind of the the nas in the gas tank for this. And then once they started dismantling the social welfare state, the you know the safety nets and everything in the eighties, the nonprofit industry basically. St- stepped in some of them handled these material benefits like uh you know it's like legal aid mm. uh and food pantries and morris d's morris d's <laughs> who was the guy that with the habitat for humanity him and morris d's uh-huh. cooked up a uh-huh <laughs> didn't they cook up a scheme when they were in college like man they did we're gonna make like shit. millions of dollars i forgot all about that yeah. he really was like a scammer from fucking day one really kind of in a way yeah Jay McCarter said, get some real local people. <laughs> Joe put the dog on him. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but so, like, there's those kinds of nonprofits. But then I think that there's, like, a kind of political, the, the kind, of, kind of nonprofit this article is going for. There's, like, a political grassroots, uh, political activity kind of nonprofit that, what what would you classify this as? Like, its role is to essentially keep people engaged in various interests, whether it's abortion or Social Security or whatever. Yeah. The, cli- the climate, the environment. Yeah, the coming climate catastrophe. The coming climate catastrophe. It's that's, a- my, that's my particular beat. Right. I'm singularly in charge of climate destiny in this country. <laughs> If I stop coal mining, I know, I, if I, I stop I, coal mining, then it's all on me. There's like two kinds of workers at this nonprofit. I think there's like one of them is like the expert, the policy wonk. There's like a there's like a policy wonk, and like their job is to basically look at data, uh, interpret it turn it into some sort of lobbying thing that they can then go to specific and then go then go find a former obama (laughs) staffer and figure out how to get this motherfucker paid so you could feel so he could feel so he could feel like like he's they've got their he's helping out the underground subversive revolutionaries right 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 uh and then there's the other kind of nonprofit worker, there's several. There's also admin. A lot of fuck. There's a lot of admin at nonprofits. You're gonna tell me that those fucking people? I mean, like again, there's their businesses. They're yeah. run like fucking businesses. Yeah. They have a different corporate structure. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that <laughs> I like, got a different corporate structure. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the kind of outside counsel you can get at patreon.com slash triple the workers party we also do commencement speeches <laughs> but then there's like another kind of employee that that they have that his job is to interface with quote unquote the masses the public so like there's that's, that's you that's that's <laughs> me I would put that as as and this is some self crit I would describe that myself as um uh <laughs> Rad lib fake email <laughs> job haver with no other discernible talents Skills. other than my my uh-huh. witty repartee. There you go. Uh, I, you know, if you really want to talk about like skilled and unskilled labor, it doesn't get more unskilled than <laughs> than, than my line of work. Being a coordinator. If your job title is coordinator of any kind, you have no idea what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. Hey, I'm an organizing representative. Oh, uh, yes, pal. yes, yes. I, 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 I dream of being a coordinator, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I can only aspire to coordinator. But, like, what, what I'm getting at is, like, there is... Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there's like three employee classes at a nonprofit, and each one of them is designed specifically to interface with its whatever its target is. So you've got, like I said, the policy wonks and those people. They interface with Congress, with the political system, not with Congress per se, but mostly the bureaucratic agencies, the EPA and the DOJ and the fucking ADDC, man, you know what I mean? <laughs> Civilian Conservation Corps, <laughs> Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, etc. Uh, Works Progress Administration, <laughs> <laughs> Alphabet C. And, and, but then you have the fundraising employees, and their job is to interface. That's you. You can speak that, to that. That was where I was uh, specializing. That you interface with the rich people. Yeah. You interface with the people trying to give your the donor their money. Class. The donor class. The donor yeah, class. Yeah. And then you have... They won't let me within a country <laughs> mile of the donor class. <laughs> Except when they need some cred or something. When they need like a photo but op. But they'll do that from a distance still. They're like, I can't be having this guy at a gala. Is, but is he a real hillbilly? Come I'll on. take a picture of him and do a video do of you, him. Do you think that he'll, do you think that he'll say uh, the line for me? What line? You know, Daddy can. Is it time for me to? I I, I know, <laughs> I know what you want. I got you. <clears throat> if I ever pays attention, <laughs> reckon Daddy wants me to feed them hogs. Everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that shit. Here's three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and then you have a th- the third kind of employee. Again, you. That interfaces with quote unquote the people. The people. Like yeah. that is their whole thing. They run like a triple front thing at all times. It's a three headed hydra. <laughs> Wait, how many heads does a hydra have to have to be a hydra? I think at least eight. Like eight. eight. I think eight at headed. least. At the very least. Well, if we, you have seven we, heads. We run a three headed hydra. It's a, <laughs> it's a, a hydra guy. with birth defects. <laughs> Uh-huh. Anyways, <laughs> nonprofits are very, uh, they're very, I mean, this article, obviously, they're not trying to, like, really dive into the finer details and mechanics of nonprofits. They're trying to sp- tell a specific story, a specific thesis, which is, what was it earlier? Meltdowns have brought progressive <laughs> advocacy groups to a standstill at a critical moment in world history. 
that's the thesis. So, uh, anyways, um, a prison reporter reached a widely respected Guttmacher board member, Pamela Merritt, a black woman and a leading reproductive justice activist, while the Supreme Court oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health organization were going on last December, a year and a half after the Floyd meeting. She offered the most delicate rebuttal of the staff complaints possible. I've been in this movement space long enough to respect how people choose to describe their personal experience and validate that experience, even if I don't necessarily agree that that's what it is they see, that that's what they experience. Sorry. Um, blah, blah, blah. The six months since then have only seen a ratcheting up of the tension, with more internal disputes spilling into public and amplified by a well-funded anonymous operation called Repro Jobs, whose Twitter and Instagram feeds have pounded away at the organization's management. Um... I ain't never heard of fucking gut gut marker before this article, had you? Mm-mm. So, <laughs> I mean, they must what, not what do they a, do? It's I think it's abortion rights or oh, like okay. reproductive justice or something. Yeah. That's another thing about nonprofits. Like they're all like slotted into these categories, like environmental justice, reproductive justice. Like it's all, like all your your entire like paradigm, like your relationship to it is that it's all fixed in yeah. a way. It's all static. Yeah. Uh, but then there, there is um, the, my favorite though is that they've like even managed to like nonprofitify like class or like uh, unions and everything. Mm-hmm. So like that's called economic justice or something. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, what right. the fuck is economic justice? Brother, hey, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what we've been doing for the last couple of years, but uh, I see. that's economic justice. That's, you're right. I didn't see. build back better is economic justice. Build back better initiative mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly anything that <clears throat> is trying to lessen the burden of the you know poor and working classes. Mm-hmm. You know, and by that I mean never give them any money or resources <laughs> or anything. <laughs> but attaboys instead. Uh-huh. And of girls and this gets, this fucking gets into my that episode we did with Katie about like the rich young anti capitalist capitalists nah. like trying to give their money away. If you care that fucking much, just go down and buy like I don't know a hundred or two hundred thousand AK forty seven. You could buy an entire military. Why don't you fucking what what you do is just go down buy an entire military for the working class. <laughs> And that would be more helpful than like funneling it through all this like nonprofit t- bureaucracy and you know spraying it out through these like tax havens. There's just I, the thing that's always <clears throat> if, you're, me if they about are really it. serious about revolution. If they're serious about it, right. if they're not, then if they're not, then you might want to skip on the private <laughs> militia thing. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying it's just an option. Yeah. But if you want revolution, that's the surest way to do it. Um, uh, probably produce some mixed results. You have to change the balance. You have to change the playing field. If you gave the working class like 20,000 nukes with your millions of dollars, then maybe people might start being like, well, all right, this fucking job does suck. Like, fuck this shit, <laughs> yeah, fuck man. Fuck this job. Also, Earth Justice is a, <laughs> is a nuclear power all of a sudden. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you would have to take an outfit like that seriously. Uh-huh. You'd have to take it out. Exactly. It would be funny if every nonprofit formed a paramilitary group. Uh huh. And that was like a you know like yeah. A, yeah, yeah, a new yeah. initiative, and it's like uh, arms justice or something <laughs> like that. Just trying to arms live. Justice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would you go work for the arms justice branch of <laughs> guerrilla warfare justice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Sorry. I interrupted you. You were in the middle of something. No, I just, no, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I just said, you know, if we're going to do um, all the different justices, economic and reproductive and environment and listen all those things are important i'm not uh-huh. being trivial with them but you know maybe we'll just do some we'll do some arms justice mm-hmm. some <laughs> yeah. arms justice yeah. yeah some guerrilla war some asymmetrical warfare justice right that's what <laughs> yeah. they should be putting their money into all right asymmetrical all warfare right. Justice. like listen we could dilly dally all day <laughs> doing this but like let's Marshal our resources into a viable <laughs> nuclear weapon. <laughs> pa- uh, yeah, a nuclear power. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you, none of us would be sitting around having this fucking conversation. Like, why won't they shake off their chains? Why won't they rise up? And like, why are we fucked? It's like, look at that. Because you won't give them a you nuclear won't give weapon. Them a fucking nuke. <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> not fucking hard hey, you give a man a nuclear weapon he starts talking different you know he walks into a room with a little more pep a little more confidence <laughs> yeah uh, that is a terror it is a terrifying thought that if like just like private citizens and like like Elon Musk could get a nuclear weapon if he wanted to definitely you know what I mean definitely that's 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 you know kind of a scary thought mm-hmm Amazon now has a it not only has a militia, but it's <laughs> the world's largest nuclear power. Then there is like, oh fuck! So that's why it was bad. Let these guys accumulate unchecked <laughs> <laughs> wealth. This this goes <coughs> into a list of all of the organizations that this is that this sickness, the sickness of wokeness and cancel culture, has taken deep root. In the Sierra Club, Demos, ACLU, Color of Change, Movement for Black Lives, Time's Up, Sunrise Mute. Is that what he said? Yeah, it's all in here. Planned Parenthood. Wait, he really Pershing. said that like the disease of wokeness? No, he didn't say that. Oh, that's, okay. that's, <laughs> but, but the point he's trying to make is that all of these organizations right now are paralyzed during a critical moment in human history. Build back better. That's the critical moment, Tom. Are that we they're still paralyzed. Doing that? They're, they're paralyzed during. Are we still back trying there. to build back better? They're, they're par- well, that's the thing. The, the the people having meltdowns won't let us build back better. Ultimately, this fucking article just winds up being like a case for Biden and build back better. What it what it is is it winds up being like a case that the the kind people in the federal government are willing to sit down with us and talk to us and enact our vision of change on society. But we can't do it because we're hamstrung by our obdurate employees who want to talk about racial justice and wokeness. Like that is uh, that's what's implicit here. It's just like, dude, fuck off. No one in the Biden administration is gonna do shit. All right. Nothing. All right. I've been to all, all right. these fucking meetings. They just sit sit down with you and say, "Well, you know, we'd love to do that," and then they fucking keep plugging. <laughs> like, no. Who was the guy? Who was the guy that used to follow you? Used to be the ARC director, Earl Grohl. Oh, I think he still does. I think he still fucks with your boy. Still follows. I you think he still fucks with the Trillbillies. I'm just. I don't know. He might. I have no idea. I loved have Earl Grohl on the program. <laughs> early on, <laughs> I Earl. Like really. The like. thing is, is early on in the show, people were like, "Oh, look, like they're the voice of reason in the mountains." <laughs> <laughs> and Fast forward we, and, five <laughs> years. 
And they're advocating <laughs> giving a nuclear weapon. <laughs> <laughs> Just how fast we've degenerated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm just kidding. It was really always like that. <laughs> in fact, it's hard to find a Washington-based progressive organization that hasn't been in tumult. And even reach the Audubon Society. Fuck. Oh, <laughs> Wokeness, the disease, the, the woke virus has taken over the Audubon Just Society. the lights going out across Europe. Yeah. The fucking lamps going out. I feel bad. Like I, I don't want him to feel that I'm not engaging with this in good faith. Because like you could tell at some point in the article, like towards the end, he's like, critics are going to say this is me bashing on employees and all this. So it's like, all right, if you got to say that, you've already admitted. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. no, you don't ever say that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's It's just like... It's a writing error. It's an unforced error. It's an unforced error. That's <laughs> fine. You'll get you'll get them next time. But but what it does is it kind of implies to me that he wants this to be taken in good faith. So like, all right, I'll do it. Like, let's take it in good faith. Uh, I'm trying my best, anyways. Um, Twitter, as the saying goes, may not be real life, but in a world of remote work, Slack very much is. Blah blah blah. To be honest with you, this is the biggest problem on the left over the last six years. Another anonymous executive director concluded, "This this whole fucking article could just be l- named anonymous executive oh, directors." Dude. Well, let me tell you this: I know for a fact, at least where Sierra Club's concerned, there is a regular group of former disgruntled Sierra Club people, <laughs> including um, what's the dude's name, Mike Brun. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't work there anymore. No, but they meet for wine somewhere in Oakland on Thursdays and bitch about like the nonprofit sphere. (laughs) So, like, my hunch is that some of these are probably—they're probably like, I know these motherfuckers plant stories and shit like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the biggest problem on the left over the last six years. This is so big, and it's like abuse in the family. It's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about, and you have to be super sensitive about who the messengers are. For a number of obvious and intersecting reasons, I'm not the perfect messenger, but here it goes anyways. I mean, dude, again, if this is an executive director saying this, it's a boss. And at the end of the day, it's a fucking boss whining. I don't give a fuck. This is so big and it's like abuse in the family. Also, yeah, like... Abuse in the family. Pity pity the poor fucking uh, non-profit admin that pulls down $300,000 a year to do fuck all. I'm sorry, like... Right, right. It's just like what it is. It's just, just nonprofit cogs who just work their way up the system, playing the competitive game of a nonprofit. You got to get arrested once for a mild protesting offense. <laughs> That's help. That helps facilitate your upward mobility. Yeah, they've got. They've all. They're all social climbers too. You think people running nonprofits aren't social climbers? Yeah. You fucking break. They're they're executive directors because they're social climbers. It can't be. Yeah, your arrest can't have come at like Occupy or something of any consequence though. It ha- it has to come at like I don't know. What'd be a good example of a protest that was like kind of goofy? Uh, like a circumcision's rights protest. Maybe not were- that goofy. But- <laughs> You had. What if you you were, like, that was the rumor around the. Like office. maybe you, you got you, arrested protesting like the young re, young Republicans in college. Okay, all right, all right. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you, you know how Gary got his stripes, right? Listen to this. He used to protest with those anti-circumcision guys down in the corner. Dude. He's not a rat. He didn't. He didn't blow up a pipeline. No. 
<laughs> he was throwing foreskins at people dude, at he's, the corner. <laughs> dog, he's he's father's rights. You know how he cut his teeth? How he got his stripes? It's the anti-circumcision movement. I am anti-circumcision, though, by the way. so Are you cut? I'm cut, dude. Nah, I'm the perfect spokesman for the anti-circumcision. <laughs> As a victim myself. <laughs> uh, for progressive movement organizations, <laughs> 2021 promised it. <laughs> 2021 promised to be the year they turned power into policy. With a dr- <laughs> then I can't hold it together. With the Democratic trifecta and the Biden administration broadcasting a bold vision of transformational change. Out of the gate, Democrats pushed ahead with the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, funding everything from expanded health care to a new monthly child tax credit. And then, sometime in the summer, the Ford momentum stalled, and many of the progressive gains lapsed or were reversed. Instead of fueling a groundswell of public support to reinvigorate the party's ambitious agenda, most of the foundation-backed organizations... This fucking article just jumps. One article we're talking... One paragraph we're talking about the Biden administration. And then the next, we're talking about... It kind of does a deceptive thing because that first sentence there, it's like... And then... Ford momentum stalled. And then the nonprofit, it's because of the nonprofits. It's like, well, where'd you get to the nonprofits? What's the connective tissue there between Biden funding all this shit and that being Ford momentum? Is it because the nonprofits did it? Yeah. Like, that's a claim that might be true, but this doesn't inspect that. Yeah. Is it, I mean,. I don't think it's. I don't think that the Biden administration was spending all that money at the be- beginning because nonprofits were telling them to. I think it was probably economists, right? Uh, yeah, it's probably the Krugmans of the this world. This is the fucking so. thing that drives me crazy about nonprofits. Like they're constantly like, they they are like lame ISIS. They just take credit for shit that. <laughs> Like other people, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're con- you're exactly right. They're they have like an outsized view or like a, you know, like, like an inflated sense inflated of their own inflated sense life. of their own worth. Yeah, and their ability to change things. Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, it's the same thing that like when people talk about like small businesses and entrepreneurs around here, like that wouldn't be the case if it wasn't because of these nonprofits. It's like, dude, no capital moves like the kind of like capital flowing through nonprofits it's not like accumulating in the way that it is in the quote-unquote for-profit industry so like the shit gets done at the level of like massive industry like coal or healthcare or tech or whatever it's not like nonprofits are like fucking out there like moving society forward like they have a much more sort of circumspect uh role in american life you know what i mean it's i don't know it's it's a Anyways, we've got the progr- we've got the Ford mo- group momentum stalled. Instead of fueling a groundswell of public support to re- reinvigorate the party's ambitious agenda, most of the foundation backed again. It's like we failed the Democrats. The foundations failed the Democrats. Most of the foundation backed organizations that make up the backbone of the party's ideological infrastructure were still spending their time locked in virtual retreats, slack wars, and healing sessions, grappling with tensions over hierarchy, patriarchy, race, sex, gender, and power. No, I'm sorry. That was a f- literal Freudian slip. Sex was literally not in there. They're not. God. Whoa. Wow. I saw the word sex, but there were, that w- was not excellent. This man, it's always, it always <laughs> goes back to sex with this guy. 
So much energy has been devoted to the internal strife and internal bullshit that it's had a real impact on one ability for groups to deliver, said one organization leader who departed his position. It's been huge, particularly over the last year and a half or so, <clears throat> the ability for groups to focus on their mission. Uh, this is, of course, a character of the left, that socialists and communists spend more time in meetings and fighting with each other than changing the world. Again, like, you can't just say, like, nonprofit workers and then just switch to, this is a problem with the left, because, like, nonprofit workers are not the embodiment of the left. Like, there are, left, there are leftists who work in factories, who work in tech jobs, who, like, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's I a like broad this thing. I've, I've said in many of these nonprofit meetings and stuff like that where we're, like, uh, you know, talking to people about... You know all the you know the trappings and language of like the rad lib sort of change uh -huh. maker stuff, and then I'm it's just funny to imagine that being juxtaposed with like you know um, the <laughs> like some like the internationals and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, like <laughs> it's not Lenin. Right. Like no one's given like fucking like barn burner speeches. All right, right. Yeah, they're they're trying to tell you how we need to prevent burnout by like uh -huh. doing self care. Uh, but in the wake of Trump's presidential election and then Joe Biden's, is become nearly all consuming for some organizations, spreading beyond subcultures of the left and into major liberal institutions. My last nine months, I was spending ninety to ninety five percent of my time on internal strife, whereas before that would have been twenty to five to thirty percent tops. The former executive director said. Uh, most people thought that their worst critics were their competitors, and they're finding out that their worst critics are on their own payroll, said Fuck. Loretta. <laughs> Fuck. It's coming from inside the fucking house. Fuck. Okay, here's the other thing, too. And again, this is not a personal dig at anybody or Ryan or anything, but like, you can't include some shit like that and then fortify this argument that like, you know, all these that the wokeness is like, you know, infected the nonprofit sphere when it's like clearly this cunt like thinks he has some ownership mm -hmm. over people's over livelihood. Over, exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. They're Cle on, yeah, on clearly. My own payroll. Ex that is Go exactly hell, right. And it has again, dude, it's it's a fucking perfect example of like it does not fucking matter the personal feelings of the boss. And I, I have experienced this. Once the social relation kicks in, like at every other time it, at a nonprofit, that social relation between you and your boss will be mystified. But in the moment that it actually matters, oh, hell, you we, can were, we were at, we were at a nice bonfire weeks before you got ousted. You know? Oh right? yeah, exactly. Having a nice it's, chat, it, it's enjoying exactly, a nice. It's the it's the social relation at the heart of the matter. It's the dynamic, yeah. and like the, and it doesn't make. That, that means nothing about the boss or the worker or their personal ideologies. Right. It's just a fucking fact, a, f a matter of the workplace. It's just right. part of it. Um, all my executive director friends, everybody's going through some shit. No, no nobody's immune, <laughs> said one who has yet to depart. One senior progressive congressional staffer said that when groups don't disappear entirely to deal with internal strife, the discord is still noticeable on the other end. I've noticed a real erosion of the number of groups who are effective at leveraging progressive power in con Congress. Some of that is these groups have these organizational culture things that are affecting them, the staffers said. <laughs> this is killing me. Because of the organizational culture of some of the real movement groups that have lots of... I mean, like, I don't know, just some congressional staffer being like, we would love to work with them if they weren't racked by this... Uh, 
by this disease. <laughs> yeah. Again, like they're not. They don't fucking care. The idea in theory is that pushing their public policy demands further and further left widens the so-called Overton window of what's considered possible, thereby, thereby facilitating the future passage of ambitious legislation. This maximalist political demands can also be a byproduct of internal strife as organization member leaders fend off charges of not internally embodying progressive values by pushing external ready, further, further left. But the aide pointed out there is legislative potential now. Um, and then Sunrise is doing their Green New Deal pledge. Uh, uh, let's see. The climate bill is still on the table. There's a universe where people are on the outside focused on power and leveraging power for progressives in Congress. Instead, they're spending resources on stuff that is totally unrelated to governing. Nobody says, hey, guys, could you maybe come and maybe focus on this? I mean, I don't know. They just seem so disingenuous. If they wanted to pass this shit, they would just pass it. They don't need the nonprofits, like, you know, sending four of their best employees and telling them, uh, you know, with a petition of names, like, these are all the people that want to see the whatever act pass, the clean water, or, you know, whatever the fuck they're trying to pass. They would just do it. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, there's no... I don't understand. Anyways. Um, for years, recruiting young people into the movement felt like a win-win. Uh, new energy for the movement and the chance to give a person a lease on a newly liberated life dedicated to the pursuit of justice. But that's no longer the case. I got to a point like three years ago where I had a crisis of faith. Like, I don't even know. Most of these spaces on the left are just not, they're not healthy. Like, all these people are just not, they're not doing well. The dynamic, the toxic dynamic of whatever you want to call it, call out culture, cancel culture, is creating this really intense thing and no one is able to acknowledge it. No one's able to talk about it. No one's able to say how bad it is. Like, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sympathetic to aspects of that. Again, right, in the sense that, like, you should be able to have productive conversations in a direction. I think. Uh, well, I think I've, they're just they're just pissed about the direction that it's going. Right, they're just pissed about <laughs> the direction it's going because it challenges their cushy gig. Right, right, right. Well, the other thing too is like I am kind of sympathetic to parts of that argument too, but I think the trick is in how do you rightly divide like what's legitimate criticism in these spaces? I hate to use words like yeah, spaces, yeah, yeah. whatever. But like, use away. But rightly divide, like, what are legitimate criticisms and dynamics and so forth? And, like, what is just, like, rad lib horse shit that's mm -hmm. just, like, it's just there just to be obstinate and, to like, histrionic, you know? Exactly. You know. That's why I think that, like, all nonprofit workers, if they're, quote-unquote, on the left, just have to start reading Marx. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like, I mean, that's all, I mean, that's the only antidote to the rad lib uh, thing you know right otherwise you're just gonna keep <laughs> not to give prescriptions to bosses here but right like if, right if you really are genuinely you know concerned with like how people are feeling but that does none of that comes across here right yeah sooner or later <clears throat> each interview for this story landed on the election of trump in 2016 as a catalyst and then it goes through like all the money was poured into organizations like aclu remember that like after the yeah, muslim yeah. ban and all the money just poured into, I mean, I was working at a nonprofit after the election of Trump, right? You know, like a lot of these organizations did see a fuckload of money. Um, and then it talks about AOC, um, talks about Charlottesville. It talks a lot about the ACLU and how the ACLU stood up for the right. I didn't even know this. Maybe I knew this at the time, but I totally forgot, I guess. 
that ACLU stood up for the right of the marchers to march. Oh. You know, because ACLU <laughs> always, like, stands up for Nazi yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like... And it's like, like they got this huge influx of cash from like liberals concerned about the proliferation uh-huh. of Trumpism. And yeah, then, and they're and they're like, uh, well, actually, we have to stand by this. Yeah. Um, and how that like triggered this whole internal battle at ACLU. Um, then we you know talks a little bit about the you know George Floyd and about the pandemic. I'm trying to find some. Um, quotes of some really weird stuff because there is some truly weird stuff in here hold on hold on tom i read this over the course of like two hours it's so fucking long there are wins to be had between now and the next couple months that could change the country forever and folks are focused on stuff that has no theory of change for even getting to the house floor for a vote that was a aid I guess the same one that they were do- talking about earlier. Um, the environment has pushed expectations far beyond what workplaces previously offered to employees. A lot of staff that work for me, they expect the organization to be all the things. A movement, okay. Get out the vote, okay. Healing, okay. Take care of you when you're sick, okay. It's all the things. Can you get your love and healing at home, please? But I can't say that. That would crucify me. It's just not the nonprofit world, though. So, and then they talk a little bit about how it's... F- infected the social like the corporate world as well um anyways you get the idea (laughs) my friends in wall street are dealing with the same thing (laughs) (laughs) we're all dealing with the same thing right now um yeah i don't know there was there was a specific i didn't realize this i ran across this apparently the reckoning was in many ways long overdue, forcing organizations to deal with persistent problems of inclusion. Um, progressive organizations are run like shit, acknowledge one executive director, arguing that the movement puts emphasis on leadership, more often called servant leadership now. Have you heard that term? You've heard the term servant leadership? I have, but I can't remember what context. Dude, that is dark. What the fuck? What kind of name is that? I um, think it's the echoes of the scripture in the bible where uh, jesus says the greatest among you will be a servant but ran through the filter of the ngo world it doesn't really <laughs> translate like that i love this quote we used to make want to make the world a better place now we just make our organizations more miserable to work at okay this is the thing that i I've was i found very confounding maybe you've heard of this Theorists have developed sophisticated ways to understand how political movements evolve over time. All right. I'm about to drop some, like, totally, probably anti-communist Saul Alinsky-type shit on you right now. Okay. I was reading this. like It's like social science, like non-Marxist sociology, non-Marxist political science. So strange, but... Now 100% Marx-free. <laughs> Listen to this. Okay, theorists have developed sophisticated ways to understand how political move- movements evolve over time. Bill Moyer, a former organi- organizi- organizer with MLK Jr.'s Poor People's Campaign, who went on to lead the anti-nuclear movement, famously documented eight stages in his movement action plan. Stage one he called normal times, the period before the public is paying much attention to an issue. 
while only a few activists are working to develop solutions. Normal times, is stage yeah. one. Stage two is failure of institutions as the public and activists become more generally aware of a problem and the need for change. To, uh, this is early spring, which then evolves into stage three, ripening conditions. To take the civil rights... To take the civil rights uh, as an example, moving as an example. Let's see. Hold on. Sorry. Okay. To take the civil rights movement as an example, Brown versus Board helped ripen conditions, as did a rising black college student population after World War II, and the return of black veterans from the war more generally, along with a surge in anti-colonial freedom struggles across Africa. The conditions are set. Next comes a trigger event that shocks the conscience of the public, and I guess that's stage four. Uh, anyways, it's like this weird formulation of how, yeah, social change gets made, but you can see how well it fits into, like, the nonprofit, like, specialized issue world, where, like, every organization is focused on a kind of, you know, curated and proprietary set of issues. Right. Yeah. That's... I don't know. It's just very strange. Does history really work like that? Does history really work that, like, there's normal times, and then normal times create the weak times, and then the weak times create... It kind of has that vibe to it. Then the the weak times create the bad times, and then the bad times create strong times. And then then (laughs) tough, uh, tough times don't last, but tough people do. Exactly. Um... Uh, let's see. Where does that put us today? The period since Occupy Wall Street represents the largest mass mobilization since the 60s and encompasses the movement for Black Lives, Women's March, Me Too, climate activism. I mean, is that true? Again. Well, if it is, it's certainly it's like, surely you could see how you're squandering an opportunity by like getting frustrated by like language of young activists or whatever. Exactly. Guys, you know? The history is very strange, though, as well. Just, like, people... Weren't the Iraq War demonstrations, like, the largest in history up to that point? Maybe there was no, non, you know, corollary non-profit. Well, that's probably where most of these it. folks working these jobs and so forth kind of got their earlier political education anyway. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Winning power... This is Ryan now editorializing. Winning power requires working in coalition with people who, by definition, do not agree with you on everything. People want justice. They want their pain acknowledged. But on the other hand, if acknowledging their pain causes organizations to die or erodes the solidarity in the coalition building that's needed for power, it's probably not a good thing. In other words, it can lead to the opposite. More power for the fascists. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, man, I don't... Okay. All right. I don't know. Listen, I'll be the first to tell you that I kind of get annoyed with some of that sort of talk. But like, I, yeah, I, no, I, same, I, same, I, I, same. I don't, I don't understand whatsoever how you can draw that straight line to fascism. <laughs> and that, like, oh well, if you address everybody's needs and pain and stuff, then like these organizations will fold, and that's a net negative. This that's, is this the thing. If we're going to have a conversation about that, which I think the left probably should in a reasonable localized way not on fucking twitter and these massive forums if the organization the working uh staff of an organization wants to have a conversation about is call out culture an issue at our organization or whatever that's an issue among their other workers right not your bosses not you do bosses. not have a conversation with your fucking boss about whether cancel call out culture is too bad at our organization right like because if if you're you know 
all yeah. prop, you know, have a class conscious approach to it. That's the way it should be seen. Yeah. But like Ryan kind of falls into the same trap that these executive directors do when they don't understand that there is a social relation there. There's yeah. a fucking so there's a power dynamic that yeah. is needs to be fucking acknowledged. Yeah. And not only acknowledge that you're never going to transcend. Yeah. Like, I don't think. I mean, I've, I've well, I, another thing that's funny that it kind of chapped my ass a little bit when in, in this, it was the one of the former directors when they were like, oh, could you get your love and da-da-da-da-da at home? But no, that's not how that works. Like, da-da-da. It's like these are the same people that for the previous 10 years before this have fostered this whole, like, sort of gentrification. We're all a family here, shit. Uh, yeah, th- well, they even and said then, that earlier. And, and then when people, like, sort of take the bait yeah. of that or and think that they can get some emotional and, like, support and that kind of stuff at work. Uh-huh. Then you're just like, oh, well, could you get that at home, could please? You get it, exactly. Well, motherfucker, you spent <laughs> the last the one who fucking, Yeah, you're the... There, dude, th- that was literally a quote earlier in this article. It feels like abuse in the family. Yeah. You know what? I, yeah. Um, I love this. He's talking to this dude. In fact, I was thrown out of an organization that I founded because of my quote-unquote racism. What was my racism? When I tell people things that they didn't want to hear. He added, okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys like generally, that rule. Generally, that is racist. I'm just, I listen, I'm just spitting the hard truths here, and I paid the price for it. Um, I said, might I suggest a program called... Uh, <laughs> called uh, Meet the Censored with Matt Taibbi for you, man. <laughs> I mean, it's normal. It's what's happening everywhere. Again, yeah, if that's happening, like, if people are getting thrown out, like, I don't know. It's complicated, but I just, approaching it from, uh, full stop, approaching it from the perspective of the bosses, just not a, not a winner. Who cares? I just, yeah. Um, anyways, I mean, this is, we could keep going. You talks about, like, foundations and how, like, nonprofits aren't accountable to the public, and that's true. They're not. But that, I mean, again, that's an, another, you know, feature of the system. Yeah. They serve a purpose. They serve a role as a tax haven for wealthy people so yeah. that the government doesn't appropriate their tax. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you have to acknowledge that too. And it does, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get into like how that reproduces. It seems to me that, that, what the the issue is here is Glenn Greenwald has poisoned the intercept, <laughs> and not and not necessarily nonprofit workers who make far less than these bosses <laughs> have poisoned the well of the NGO world. <laughs> I think you're right. That's that's pretty accurate. Um, I'm now at a point where the first thing I wonder about a job applicant is how likely is this person to blow up my organization from the inside. Again, a, a statement that if it came from like a meat packing plant boss, we would rightly be like, "That's insane." That's insane, yeah. But because it's nonprofits, um, I'm not. Another leader said the strife has become so destructive that it feels like an op. I'm not saying it's a right wing plot because we are incredibly good at doing ourselves oh in. My God. But if you tried, you couldn't conceive of a better right wing plot to paralyze progressive leaders by catalyzing the existing culture where internal. Ter- oh my God! This sentence. You couldn't conceive of a better right-wing plot to paralyze progressive leaders by catalyzing the existing culture where internal turmoil and micro-campaigns are mistaken for strategic advancement of social to compact... You, to you, friend, <laughs> I just want to say, try being a communist and see how you like it. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, this so, man, it is so funny. Like, also this type of person that has like that again, that inflated sense of like their own ability to affect change or whatever. Uh-huh. When it's like, well, you know, the right wingers would jump at the chance to gut us, and it's like, why? You pose no existential threat to them whatsoever. No, and you're you're they're not going to be able to gut you and you're not going to be able to gut them. That's the whole point. Right. Like you all have like wealthy patrons that keep you afloat right. regardless. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but it is interesting cause there's like weird contradictions in this cause it talks a little bit about how like the funders sometimes will side with the workers against like the managers because they want to come across as like being pro worker. Pro worker. Uh, yeah. Dude, the fucking, it's so bizarre. Yeah. It's so strange. And in an atmosphere of distrust, the worst intentions are assumed. Critics of this article will claim that its intention is to tell workers to sit down and shut up and suck up whatever indignities are doled out in the name of progress. I mean, again, uh, you've you've already put words into the mouths of the audience, so you've already lost on that count. But, um, you know... If this isn't, once again, like we said earlier, if this is an issue, that's a conversation had among Among workers. workers. (laughs) Oh, man, some of these quotes are just so insane. Like this one. I just just got the keys, and y'all are going to come after me on this shit. One executive director who said he felt like a version of those 70s-era black mayors told The Intercept. It's white supremacy culture. It's urgent. No, motherfucker, it's election day. We can't move that day. Just do your job and go somewhere else. It's just like... Dude, fuck, nonprofits are so bleak. It's so weird. <laughs> so fucking bleak. It's motherfucker. It's election day. You can't. You can't move that day. Just do your job or go somewhere else. Incredible. Um, also, Doug just gets at the. I just uh, here's the thing, though, man. Is when you're a guy that just pops up at events to give like a little talk and all the little fucking rank and file, and you're, you know organization lose their shit for it uh-huh. and that is your job <laughs> like you can't be casting aspersions about people not wanting to work and stuff like mm-hmm. that <laughs> you have made exactly. a career of being a professional do nothing exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and um, been rewarded handsomely for it in certain cases and then he goes on to like bemoan how this is also what took down that one uh candidate in new york you know what i'm talking about Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was yeah. it Morales or something? Uh, it was the person running for. Yeah, Diane Morales. Saw her New York campaign mayoral campaign blown up by a staff uprising, and then it goes to Shahid Batar. It's just like, okay, these are all losers. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? Yeah, yeah, that's what took <laughs> Shahid Batar down. Yeah, who cares? Um. Organizations that start out by making significant concessions to staff often get run over in short order, said multiple organization heads who watch the process unfold. Um, oh, yes, I have to apologize for thousands of years of oppression, and I will never be able to make up it up to you, but I will try. People will just roll all over them. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you're a boss and someone tells you you got to apologize for thousands of years of oppression, I think that's the price you should have to pay if you make more money than your employees. You have a nicer house, like you have more social capital and so, and more upward mobility. You'll probably be working in a bureaucratic agency in the next, or, or a lobbying agency or something. Like, yeah. yeah, you should have to say, all right, I'll take the I'll take the flagellation, the the, the you know, the yeah, that's just cost of business, years. bro. <laughs> 
different cushy salary and all the spoils. I mean, to do all you all you have to say is, "I'm sorry for a thousand years of oppression." <laughs> It's not that hard. You're not getting fucking like beat up or anything. <laughs> just say that. It's funny. It'd be funny at least. It would at least give your workers a good story because then they would go home and tell their They'd friends. Make fun of Today, you. Today, yeah. my boss apologized for that. For a thousand years, years of oppression. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Uh, if, if every call out leads a mob to shoot first and ask question later, we ha- we get what we have to have today. If the call. Well, what do we have today? <laughs> Again, I don't think the the left is the quote unquote left is failing because of this. Yeah. I mean, it's just no. It, to I always just come back to like, what are the conditions like? It just doesn't seem like the conditions are ripe for affecting electoral social democratic process change. I just don't think the conditions are right for that. What about the political process right now? Would convince you that any change is possible through electoral means yeah there's other than like some you know relief acts here and there the checks and everything the entire political process is completely paralyzed right so what yeah and those and like in turn like all these fucking right-wingers just bemoan the inflation you know and all this stuff so it's like i don't know no yeah it's just it's just hard to um hard to make an argument good conscience that there's anything good happen electorally (laughs) Yeah, this this was kind of sneaky, I thought. Talked about the Roe v. Wade thing, and then the next morning, the staff, however, was back at work on its union drive with its first post-thanking the public for its support of the effort. <laughs> their goddamn... They were fighting for their goddamn rights and couldn't be bothered. <laughs> fighting for their God damn right. <laughs> and they, their silly little rights in the workplace to bargain collectively. <laughs> they couldn't be bothered. It's just like, okay, dude, I mean, I know a lot of these people, like, I, tr- I promise you they give a fuck about the Roe v. Wade thing. Like, um, I don't know. That's basically how the article ends. That that is that <laughs> not is, really. It, I mean, that's dishonest that, to me. But that would that would be a hilarious thing if it's like, um, they start using like issues that pop up as like a union busting tactic. Uh-huh. Oh, like you don't want to observe Juneteenth, but you're going to do your silly little <laughs> your silly little union drive instead of that. Wow, dude, that's exactly right. Like it's. He's doing the exact same fucking thing. They're just Dude, they're going to st- they're, so they're fucking sneaky. They're going to start acting like, yeah, if you're focused on your like rights as a worker and so forth and that like, is... build up robust unions, <laughs> then you can't be devoting enough time to the issues. That is so fucking sneaky, dude. Yeah. It's just that like how do you get to that point? Yeah. I hope I'm never there, Jesus. Yeah. I, I mean like again, Ryan, if you fuck with your boy, uh, I don't. It might not be you, man. It might be where you work. I can't believe that you are this goddamn dishonest. But maybe you'd say the same thing about me <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, all I can base my shit on is what I've seen working in nonprofits and the way that I exited my <laughs> nonprofit job. <laughs> so, like, that's my basis for this. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I just don't know how I just don't know how something like that finds its way into uh, 
you know, at least a presumably left publication, you know. Yeah, and again, I'll, like, warrant that call-out culture, whatever the fuck you want to call it, cancel culture, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I mean, there call are... Call-out culture begat cancel culture. <laughs> it was, like, the pre-version of it. Yeah, one day, one day, yeah. you were getting chastised <laughs> for playing Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines, <laughs> and then five years later, you were... <laughs> the thing is, is that they always fuck up because, like, at, at the very least, call out culture is extremely. We even fucking had a name for it early on in the show the woke reach or the woke straw man. Like, at the very least, it's extremely fucking funny. Yeah. The example that we used was someone getting called out for doing the worm. And I don't care who you are. You're never going to convince me that that has, like, world-shattering, like, epic, uh, you know, insinuations about the future we're inheriting. To me, that is just the funniest fucking thing. Yeah. I got called out one time for wearing moccasins. In my own home. I got called out one time because people, someone misheard me saying the Hillary comeback narrative... And someone thought I said come back. <laughs> the comeback. Oh, yeah, God. I got fucking called out in front yeah, of Yeah, because that's a normal thing people, people say. The thing is, is if someone calls you out like that, if it's like totally unwarranted, like if it's, if it's ridiculous, if it's the woke reach or the woke straw man, then like they're going to look like the asshole. All you got to do is just weather it, and it's actually pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I just don't think that like, I think that the bosses are hearing that. I think that, like, it's one of those examples where the workers are demanding changes in the workplace, and the bosses are hearing personal attacks on, on their them. own, on them. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, they're taking it extremely fucking personally. Yeah. Because they are, because they are social climbers, because they worked their way up through the Byzantine world of nonprofit world, they are themselves deluded. They have not been able to see through the mystification of that social relation. And so they don't understand. Yeah. They don't understand that they are the boss until they have to fucking fire someone. And they're like, it's just the thing. Like, it's weird, dude. They, like, dilute themselves. They really don't see that it's it's fucking so bizarre, man. I'll never yeah. understand it. Yeah. Never fucking understand it. Well. Well, anyways, I got to go run payroll and uh, get all the... <laughs> 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 Quell the uprising of our employers our employees here. Oh man. Um so uh all right. Housekeeping. We have housekeeping. We have an update. Um a lot of you are asking, where's Tanya Turner? You remember her? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this woman? <laughs> have you seen this woman in your neighborhood? Running through your backyard. Uh, putting spells on your animals. Uh, no, uh, we. I don't think we ever explicitly mentioned it, mostly because we were kind of like legally hamstrung <laughs> from saying anything. But like, she basically got targeted by our old pal Christopher Rufo. This was months ago, and uh, she's just taking a sabbatical. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to take a sabbatical from things in life. And sometimes that means you're left with the two assholes who have nothing else going on. <laughs> uh, and I don't know when she'll be back. 
Maybe never. She'll let us. She'll let us know when she's sabbatical. Ready. That's the thing with sabbatical. When you're on sabbatical, you don't know how it's going to end, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Every day is an adventure. Every day is what you choose to make it. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, as you can imagine, if that happened to you, you'd probably you know have some second thoughts about going and doing your public radio show uh, twice a week. So, um, so anyways, uh, there's that, there's also the fact that you all owe us money. Uh, we're calling in all our debts. (laughs) (laughs) We're dangling you upside down, shaking. We're calling in all of our debts. Uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You and Joe Biden owe me money. That's right. That's right. Um, and you can support us there, and uh, I guess that's about it, huh? Yeah, and we obviously are thankful for that continued support, and yeah. All right. Well, go uh, go sign up. Until next time, we'll see you over there. Peace out. Bye-bye.